Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? We don't need to get rid of anxiety. For sure, we want to soften its presence. But I think one of the really big ways we're going to soften its presence is in the conversations we have around it. We need to talk about it more. We all experience it. Today, I sit down with the founder of Hey Sigmund, Karen Young, who has worked as a psychologist for many years. Karen is an internationally sought-after speaker, educator and consultant, working with government bodies, media outlets and a diverse range of private organisations. Karen is the author of four internationally acclaimed books, including the best-selling Hey Warrior and Hey Awesome, which creatively assist children to understand and manage anxiety. The books have been translated into a number of languages and have sold more than 180,000 copies worldwide. (laughs) Phenomenal achievement. Karen created Hey Sigmund, an internationally popular online resource, as a way to provide contemporary research-driven information on the art of being human and being with humans. The website has a particular emphasis on strengthening the mental wellness of children and adolescents, which is just wonderful. It attracts millions of readers each year worldwide, which I'm not surprised about. The work Karen does is so inspiring, and I've been looking forward to sitting down with her for a deep dive. Karen, it is wonderful to sit down with you today. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here and I am very much looking forward to our conversation. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I wish we would talk more about the normalising of anxiety and the normality of anxiety. I see us pathologising it a lot and I think that it doesn't serve anybody. It adds to anxiety, especially for children, It adds anxiety to anxiety that's already there. And for sure, anxiety can really interrupt people's lives and really get in the way and really shut down their reach into the world. But even for those people where anxiety is really extreme, it's not going to serve them if we keep talking about anxiety as a pathology. We need to normalise it. We need to talk about it more. We all experience it. Yeah, it makes um, complete sense to me. And, you know, I've had um, little bouts, I guess, say of anxiety throughout my life and different moments of things. But it's such a uh, such a valid point is that, you know, you talk about it and people talk about anxiety and then you feel more anxious about it. It's so true. <laughs> so why is this an area you're so passionate about, Karen? What What is the work that you do? So I do a lot of work around anxiety in young people and supporting them. One of the reasons I'm so... I have so much energy for this. Well, first of all, I got personal um, with my own daughter. But what I know about when anxiety hits young children, there's a real tail whip to it. And it never just takes one person. It never takes one person out. It never takes one child out. It will intrude into families, classrooms, peer relationships, 
extended family, everyone feels it. Of course we do because we care about them so much and we look at them and we know how incredible they are and it can be so upsetting when you look at them and you just go, you don't even realise how magnificent you are. I just wish you realised just a little bit. And when we start talking about anxiety as breakage or anxiety as pathology, and what I see happening is, yes, it exists on a, on a spectrum, absolutely, and sometimes it'll be too big all the time, but then in other situations it won't be there. The more we can normalise it, the more we're going to reduce anxiety about the anxiety. No one wants to feel broken. Anxiety is a really normal human experience. It's there to keep us alive. We're not going to get rid of it. The other thing that happens with the pathologizing of it is we feel like we have to get rid of it. We call it a disorder, but the truth is we can feel anxious and do really hard things. We can feel anxious and put one foot in front of the other towards those brave, important things that we need to do or that they need to do, support them towards it. We don't need to get rid of anxiety. For sure, we want to soften its presence, but I think one of the really big ways we're going to soften its presence is in the conversations we have around it. Yeah, and the normalisation that everyone feels that at some moment or point in their time, especially for kids, to know that they're not, you know, there's not something drastically wrong with them or they're, you know, they're broken, as you say. So, this um, work that you do, you've you've got an organisation, Hey Sigmund, and you've written like four books, I believe, in this sort of space. So you're quite prolific. Your organisation you've had for coming up 10 years. So what is it that you do for, you know, predominantly young people in this organisation? So a lot of it is around supporting their important adults. So their parents, teachers. I worked with a lot of children and adolescents as a psychologist and I really it didn't take me long to realize that when we put the power into the hands of their important adults that's where healing and growth happens you know I would have these kids for 45 minutes a week and absolutely that support that therapeutic support can be really really important for some children but equally sometimes more important is actually putting that information into the hands of the adults who are with them every minute of every day, who are there for the conversations, who are there on the front line when anxiety hits and it feels brutal for everybody. And so that's when I kind of started steering into this work. Yeah, wonderful. And so do you do a number of different programs and things within Hey Sigmund. What are the areas that you have the best kind of results that you find? Yeah, working with parents. So I do a lot of, well, speaking, a lot of speaking to parent groups. And I know because they tell me that when they walk out, they just feel lighter. And when I have these conversations with parents, and it's not even, it's not intensive therapy, it's nothing like that. It's a conversation around what anxiety is, how to support their children through it, what parents can do or important adults can do. I talk to schools as well. I think people start to realise that they do actually have a lot of power to support children through, and that's massive. That's massive because we aren't going to get rid of it and you feel so helpless as a parent. And I know because I've been there, I've been that parent who's going, I don't know what to do. I know what to do with other people's kids, but when you're a parent, it's you don't know what to do. And so I would say my biggest results are coming from working with parents and Hey Warrior, the book, I know for kids, when we can explain it to them, 
in a really healthy way, in a really positive way. Make sense of it. This isn't happening because you're broken or because something bad's about to happen. Yeah, your body feels horrible right now. It's actually meant to. That's your brain trying to keep you safe. This is actually what's happening in you. And then there's another story that they can put to it and parents can put to it, which is, well, you feel like this because you're about to do something important. You're about to do something brave. This matters to you, of course. You're going to feel like this. And all of the important things come with really small risks, even if they're minimal. The brain doesn't care of failure, humiliation, judgment, uh, shame, all the big things do. That's actually what makes them brave, that we move through that anyway. But anytime the brain registers any of those, it's going to act like we're about to die. So it's going to load our body up to get it to safety. And one of the things I say to kids is this is why we need to be in charge of our brain. We need to be the boss of our brain because our brains are just doing what they need to do to help us. Brains are here to keep us safe at the end of the day. Uh, They're not broken. Absolutely not. But we need to be in charge to decide. Our brain gives us a heads up that this might be something risky or dangerous We need to come in and go, "Mm, is it dangerous? And sometimes it might be. Or is this something important? And if it's something important, we can feel anxious and do brave. You move with it. It's not about cutting it out. It's not about getting rid of it. It's about moving with. But to do that, we need the information and we need to put a different story to it. Yeah, I love that. And, I mean, it's so nice, you know, to hear you using that language that you obviously use with kids, but it resonates so much with adults, I guess, you know, if they've been dealing with this for, you know, years in their life or different moments. Um, I've found that uh, some of my friends, you know, in perimenopause and menopause are having anxiety for the first time in their lives. You know, they've never sort of felt it before and it's quite debilitating. You know, they're literally, you know, so anxious about such micro stuff and that's their language, talking to me about it. And, you know, they're like, I can't drive the car because I feel like I'm going to crash. And, you know, I just get so wound up about like micro housekeeping stuff. And they're like, I was never like this. What's going on with me? So what are some tools and some, you know, you're saying about like kind of sitting with it and processing it and, you know, working it through your brain. But if you're in that moment that is a little bit you know, despairing, I guess. How do people navigate that? So the first thing we have to do is remind ourselves that we're safe. And even if it's anxiety around driving a car and we've been driving a car our whole lives, it's not what the brain's thinking right now. The brain right now is thinking of every possible scenario that could go wrong. So it's it's hard for the brain. It's something, the challenge for us is actually being able to move through it So I'm doing something hard right now. I'm doing something hard. Of course I feel like this and I'm safe. So you remind yourself that you're safe. The most powerful way in the moment during anxiety, the brain's locked up. So it's really hard to rationalize your way out of it. So we also need to go with the body. So strategies like grounding, which is just tapping into your senses, feeling the ground beneath you, looking around, what can you see? What can you hear? What can you smell? This is a quick exercise. Um, the biggest one is breathing, but breathing with a slower outbreath and resistance to the breathing, kind of like a sigh. And we sigh many times an hour to reset our nervous system to, to regulate again, which is actually what we're trying to do. We're trying to regulate our nervous system during anxiety. Is that, is that what a sigh is? I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, that's what a sigh is. I love it when little young kids, you know, like three-year-olds sigh. There's a big, 
And you're like, what have you got to worry about, kid? You know, (laughs) why are you sighing with so much zest? It's gorgeous, huh? Yeah. We're actually, we're regulating. And uh, so there's real physiology behind it. But when we really need to amp up the regulation, if we can just go and slow the out breath. So it's a slower out breath. So in for three, hold and out breath for five but with a bit of resistance like you're fogging up a window remind yourself that you're safe this is hard things are hard sometimes and uh, now is the time to to move forward to get the job done yeah and I think one of the key things that um and a previous guest has sort of talked about anxiety um she's from the medical professional and she said the learnings that she had when she saw um a psychologist and they said well, the good thing is you're not going to die from anxiety. No one has ever died from anxiety. And I think your point about reminding yourself you're safe, that is a key thing. You can't die from this. Like it's not, you feel like you're having a heart attack. You know, your, your chest is tight, your heart's going a million miles an hour, whatever, but um, you can't actually die from it. And I think that's a really good reminder. Yeah, yeah, it is. So we just, we do need to remind ourselves and what, anxiety is, is the brain perceiving danger and thinking it needs to protect us. So it happens below awareness, it's automatic, it's instinctive. We don't always know what's upset the amygdala in the brain and we don't need to. So this is why we can also calm. So during anxiety, what's happening in the brain, the brain's registered. It could be a smell that reminds us of something that happened once. It could be something that's going on in the news. It could be a memory. We don't always know. It happens often below awareness. But this is why we go with the body because the brain controls what's happening in the body. It surges our body with a fuel. We feel awful. We put a story to it because we humans have to put stories to every emotional experience. It's horrible feeling something and not being able to make sense of it. So the story we put to it is I feel like something bad's going to happen, so something bad must be going to happen. That feeds back into the brain, feeds back into the body. We interrupt that loop, that circuit, physically because we can't rationalise with the brain. Then remind yourself that you're safe. Breathe or ground or move and move with. I feel anxious and I can get this job done. And it's both. It's two things. You talked earlier about, you know, dealing, you being a professional in this space and then also dealing with your own children and how as a parent it's a little bit different. Having gone through your experience with your daughter, how did you tackle that and what help did you seek in in that time? Because is that why you created this organisation post that? Yeah, well, the Hay Sigmund was already there, but what happened is she had big, big separation anxiety when she was little and then she, which is really normal, And then she had anxiety again when she was going from junior school to middle school. And every time I tried to talk to her about it, she'd go, Mum, can you just know? I I know what you're doing. Just stop. Because she's like, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. And I thought, well, I'm really stuck here because if you're going to listen to me, I'm really stuck. And so it's not that I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do for her in my role as a parent. She doesn't want me the psychologist. She wants me the mum. And me the mum? I didn't know what to do. So we were in the car going to soccer one day and she she said, I've got that feeling again. And it's physical, anxiety is physiology. And I said, okay, you're just going to listen to me. And I normalized it. I told her why her body's feeling the way it does. 
right now. I said, we're going to do breathing. She started doing mindfulness and she was already exercising, which are the big three. And then a little bit later, a couple of weeks later, she said, I'm on that conversation we had really helped. I didn't say another thing about it. And I said, that's good. I'm glad it helped. And I think when a 12-year-old is saying to a parent, you know, I'm not saying you're good at your job. I'm just saying it might have helped. That <laughs> probably did. Um, Backhanded compliment. Don't get too excited, <laughs> Mum. <Yeah. laughs> and then I said to her a bit later, oh, can I write about that for my website? No one reads my website because at the time nobody did. And she said, only if no one reads it. And, of course, that was the one everybody read. And then I turned that into Hey Warrior. So that is that is where Hey Warrior came from. And what that said to me and every time I wrote something about anxiety, it just got traction. What that said to me is how many parents were feeling just like me. And I know the stuff. I've got the stuff. I've got psych training. I've been a psychologist. I've done all of that, helped other people's kids. But when it's your own child, it's different. It's different. We have a lot of power with them because we are their person. We have a lot of power to lead them. But what does that look like? And how do we have the conversation? How do we even start the conversation? You know, you say to kids, just breathe. That's probably not going to work. If we just do that, we have to tell them why. We have to give them the information about their brains, about their bodies. We have to tell them the neuroscience, make sense of it, normalize it for them, take the pathology away. And that's what we did. She absolutely, it still comes up sometimes, anxiety, but she's one of the bravest women I know because she's had those experiences as a child where she really felt her edges. Now, as an adult, she's 20 now, about to go overseas um, with girlfriends. That's big. She's had those experiences. So she knows that she can feel anxious and do brave. And as a parent, oh, it rips you in two sometimes. It's brutal when you're pushing them towards the thing. It's not so much that you push them towards the things that cause anxiety, but you stop protecting them from it little bit by little bit. So there were things that we just wouldn't avoid. I wouldn't let her avoid it. It was killing me because it's not normal. It's not instinctive for a parent to move a child towards the thing that seems to be distressing. So we naturally want to protect them from it and hold them back from it. We naturally want to step in and remove their distress. But it's actually not our job to remove their distress of anxiety as long as they're safe. Our job is to give them the experiences they need to help them recognize that they can handle the distress of anxiety. Because whenever there's something important, growthful, brave, they need to, there's always going to be anxiety. Always, always, always. When they're young, it's really tough. But then they handle it. I always say it's like getting into a cold pool. It feels brutal at first, but you get into your ankles. That's going to register big pain in the brain. It's going to want you out. So then you go to your knees. Oh, you get you stay with it because you know you can handle it. Then you get used to it. Your brain and body adjust. Then you go to your knees. It's going to feel brutal again. You stay with it. And there are things that all of us have done that we were so anxious about at first first day of work, maybe the first week of work, maybe the first time we had to give a presentation for our young people. It's the first time they actually drive a car by themselves without us. It might be the first job interview. There's things all of us do when we do it for the first time. It feels hard. It feels scary. 
but we stay with it. And when we have enough of those experiences, what we actually learn is that we can handle the discomfort of anxiety and move towards those important things that we need to do. So one of the big things I did with my daughter, and I didn't do it all the time, I got it really wrong sometimes as well, is removed the things that were actually, well, I stopped protecting her from some things. Is that what you meant before about, you said about she knows her edges? It's a lovely term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you pushed, you kind of allowed her, and I think that's a, the whole premise of parenting as well. And, you know, I use a loose term parent of, you know, I have a lot of influence. I don't have my own children um, biologically, but I have a lot of kids that I influence in life. So any, you know, influence on children, any carers, I guess, in any way, but it's, uh, it is around helping them to be the best that they can be. And sometimes that means to your point of, uh, you know, steering them towards stuff that is scary, you know, they get anxious about, but it actually teaches them so much. And I think this is the whole challenge around seeing parents, you know, the helicopter parents, and you're like, oh, you're setting that kid up for such a, like a smaller life is the way I look at it, you know, rather than having a bigger, fuller life. And they feel like they're doing the right stuff. But, uh, you know, and I love your view on how to, you know, gently navigate if you see helicopter parents and how, how do you sort of say to them, look, these kids need to push their boundaries. They need to see how far they can go and what they can actually possibly do. Be intrigued on your view on that. Well, one of the things I say is there are already things we do to move children through the distress of things. that We make sure they go to the dentist even though they hate it. And one of the things I say to parents is imagine if the first time your child, when your child was learning to walk, and by parents, I mean important adults, the important adults in life. Anyone who has that attachment relationship has that authority to lead a child because they trust you. And what I say to parents is, so the first time when your child was learning to walk, right, they would have fallen, they would have taken themselves out many, many times. My own son had a permanent bruise on his forehead from the times he took himself out. They do. Now imagine if the first time they hurt themselves or they fell and got really upset, when they were learning to walk, we protected them from falling. How would we protect them from falling? By carrying them around on our hip. We protect them from the distress of falling by carrying them on our hip. You know what would have happened if we did that? They never would have developed the neural pathways to be able to walk. They never would have been able to do it. We didn't do that. We tried to make the environment as safe as we could. So we protected them from stairs. We protected them from ledges. We got things out of their way, but we didn't stop them from, they're still going to fall. They're still going to stumble. We're there to make sure they're not alone in that distress. But ultimately, falling is part of learning to walk. Um, same with brave behavior. Anxiety is all part of doing those important, meaningful things. We don't need to protect them from that. Protection is there to hold them back from danger. And of course, if there's danger, we hold them back. But if on the other side of their anxiety is something brave and growthful, that's what we're actually protecting them from. That's what we're holding them back from. So we also have to be clear about when we're stepping in to protect and ourselves. We hold ourselves back. This is why we have to say, is this something dangerous? Do I feel like this because it's dangerous or is this something that matters to me? And if it's something that matters, how can I move towards it rather than away from it? 
And it's often it's like the old boogeyman under your bed as a kid. It's um, once you face that fear head on, I've, my experience is it's never, ever as bad as I've imagined. I have a very overactive imagination. And so those challenges in life, those things that you're so scared of, when you've done it, you're like, why did I put that off for so many months? Like that wasn't that bad. It's funny, isn't it? That's right. And even the things that don't work out as planned, we deal with it, don't we? And that's also part of it. We get through it. And to circle back to, you know, where we started, which is I really wish with all my heart that we would stop pathologizing anxiety is because at that moment, when there's something brave or important to do, they're going to feel anxious. Their bodies are going to feel unsettled. They're going to feel dysregulated. It's going to feel scary. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with what you're about to do. It's normal to feel that way. What reduces anxiety is actually reducing the avoidance of those brave things. So how can we move towards it? And to move towards it, we need to normalize it. We don't, if we want kids um, or anybody moving with their anxiety, we don't want them moving with something that they think is about breakage or about dysfunction. We want them moving forward with an ally, a partner. And that's what anxiety is. It's there to give us a heads up, maybe check this out. Is this safe? It's the thing that steers us away from dark alleys, tricky people, bad decisions, but can't tell the difference between scary things and brave things. So that's where we have to come in and make the decision, but we don't need to get rid of it. For sure, it does feel awful, but actually the thing that makes anxiety worse is avoidance of things. And the more we pathologize it, the more we put a story to anxiety, which is the reason you feel like this is because there's something wrong with you or with what you're about to do. And it just doesn't serve anything. Such important message. Yeah, just wonderful, Michelle. The work you're doing and especially the impact you have on the young people in our lives is, is wonderful. So thank you for that. And um, it's been divine to chat to you today and hear your view on this. It's really interesting. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com. Hold up. 